Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. My name is Tristan Cork. I am your host for this week's episode and we have got a fabulous episode for you this week. We have managed to secure uh, all the way from North Somerset the North Somerset reporter for the Bristol Post, Heather Pickstock, who's a bit of a legend in the community in North Somerset, a bit of a, uh, she's been there 25 years and it'd be really interesting to hear what she's got to say about what it's like working from home, about what it's like covering that part of the Bristol area. And we've also got Grace Earl, our What's On reporter, um, because it has been a big, big week for restaurants in Bristol with all the Michelin stars that have been um, handed out to restaurants. So we'll wait to see what she's got to say about that. But first of all, let's talk to Heather. I'd like to welcome uh, my first guest to the podcast uh, this week. Um, it is a bit of an honour, actually, to have you in here, Hev, because oh my um, you are... <laughs> You are a bit of a legend in the Bristol Post. Am uh, I really? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully and for all the right reasons. For all the right reasons, but <laughs> may, but also because you're a bit of an enigma, a bit of right, a mystery, okay. because we hardly ever see you. No, no. So there's lots of... I hide. Of, yeah. I, hide. <laughs> I look. There's lots of reporters who um, kind of know you exist. You're a bit like Bigfoot, really. You know, the, the, We know you exist, but no one's ever seen you. <laughs> Well, I am there and I am working hard in North Somerset to uh, to bring you, you know, what's happening cool. out there. So, um, formal introduction, you're Heather Pickstock and you are, what's your job title as such? Well, a um, bit of everything really, but predominantly North Somerset reporter. Um, and I've worked for The Post for 11 years, but North Somerset's been a patch that I've covered really for the last 25 okay. Um I've done a few um, spots elsewhere across Somerset, but predominantly, you know, Port, um, North Somerset is where I work and where I live and where I've pretty much always lived. Okay, so you work from home, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Now, um, let's talk about that, because I worked from home for 15 years as well when I was on the Western Daily. Yeah. And um, it is, uh, it's, it's quite different to work in an office, I found. How are you finding it? What's your kind of... How do you kind of get up in the morning? <laughs> well, do you-, do you know what? So many people say to me, oh, I bet you watch Jeremy Carl every day, which is so far from the truth. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. So, no, I'm, I'm quite good at getting up, believe it or not. And um, to be honest, I don't really need an alarm clock because I work with my 13-year-old basset hound called Bertie. Oh. And by about seven o'clock in the morning, he's at the bottom of the stairs, you know, telling me he wants his breakfast and he wants to go out. So he's my sort of animal alarm clock. So, um, so... I just I don't find that a problem, you know. I, yeah. I like working from home, and um, and I think being on the patch and living on the patch, you know, and you see so much more. You you get you know you know what's happening if there's you know a crash, you can be there within ten mm. minutes or as a big issue. And I do find, and I've always found, um, having worked as a journalist for like twenty five years on that patch, that you know it's the most random places that you pick up 
your stories. Yeah. You know, I mean, it takes me probably twice as long as anyone else to go around Tesco or Waitrose or any other supermarkets are available, you know, because people say, oh, hiya, Heather, have you heard about this? Or, oh, I need to talk to you. I've got a story about this. Um, the pub, obviously, is another good um, yeah. source. Um, I've got After three, work, obviously. Uh, obviously, after work, yeah. And I've got three grandchildren as well. So, um you know, they're all, they've always been a great source of stuff and they give me a new, you know, they tell me things that possibly I wouldn't know because, you know, I'm yeah. much older than them. So, and I enjoy being part of that community um, and I'm proud to be part so, of that community. So this is kind of Port's Head, um, Clevedon. Yeah, I think, you know, I Dana, cover, yeah, area. I'd say from sort of Pill right up to Western Supermare. Okay. Um, How far kind of east sort of, where are we talking there, Chew? No, we're not quite as far as Chevalier and that. But, I mean, I, I, I never say never to anything, you know. I mean, yeah. if a good story comes up, you know, on that patch, outside that patch, I'm there. You know, if I get to hear about it, I'm there, I'll do it. But predominantly, you know, our main towns are Western, which is the biggest town in North Somerset, quickly followed by Porter's Head, that's growing by the minute, and then Clevedon and Nowsey. And there are our sort of main sort of, sort of centres of population. And then we've got, you know, lots of lovely little villages, which have got such a fantastic community spirit mm. in, in North Somerset. You know, um, people love living there. It's a great place to live. Yeah. And um, it is lovely around there. Every time I drive anywhere around there, it's just, I think, oh, this is lush. It is beautiful, yeah. Um, and in terms of um, your, do you feed, because obviously us reporters in Bristol, we're very focused on the website. Mm. Um, is that something that you feeding into that or is it mainly print or how does it work in terms I of... I kind of do a bit of everything. So... Um, Predomin- you know, my role is print products, um, okay. you know, predominantly the post and um, my stories go in the Western Daily and, and, and other publications that we own. So, yeah, so print stuff. But that said, um, I also do a lot of online stuff, yeah. you know, and, and then that goes into print as well, because a good story is a good story. Yeah, you know, definitely. and there's lots of things happening, very community focused things happening that possibly won't work well online but are still very valid stories yeah. um, to our local North Somerset community. Yeah, it's interesting actually because the, the fact that they that that you are still print focused because when we switch to it's quite an interesting thing that when we switch to digital first, the re- rest of the reports that's when I joined the post. Mm. Um, there, it, it's good that they, they were still recognised that there would be still. That, that someone still needed to to be of that print absolutely, journalist. absolutely. Because because the, the 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 kind of stories that we do, like like you say, the kind of community stories and stuff that maybe online only you know not many people would kind of click on to mm. read. Actually, you still need to have them in print because the it's a different it's a different kind of readership, isn't it? Well, it is, and it, you know you, we we still have a very loyal readership mm. um you know in in the bristol area in the north somerset area and we need to we need to you know um keep those people happy yeah. and you know a local story um i don't know example head shave charity run you know it still involves local people people still talk about that sort of thing yeah. you're right it probably won't work online but it's still a very valid story yeah. to the local communities and our readers in those communities and it's amazing how many people kind of see that you've done a story in print and that's kind of more valid than almost you know everyone they'll say when is it going in the paper as well mm. and you're like 
I don't know. But um, I think I think the trick is, isn't it, is sometimes, you know, you might have a story that you think is predominantly a print story, but then it's finding a way to make it an online yeah. story. Um some some stories are never gonna do that. Um but there is you know, it's learning the tricks to think, well, actually you could make that into an online story. I mean, a story I did this week about um the Staple Hill Remembrance Parade. Now that is going um, ahead this year, it was cancelled last year um, because the Royal British Legion, the local branch, closed. Um, and upset by that, the local community rallied around and launched a crowdfunding campaign to raise the money to cover the cost of running the parade again this year. Now, predominantly, I'm guessing that is a print story. Mm. So I wrote it for print, but then I, th- I thought, no, actually, people are going to be really interested in this. So I, I you know, I tweaked it a bit, and, and I, the story went out. Is this is how a community in Bristol yeah. have saved their remembrance parade? So it's learning how and understanding how you can make those stories work for all kinds of uh, uh, of media, really. Yeah. Um, in terms of working from home, now, as I said, I did that for fifteen years as well. Mm. Uh, now, a little bit of a confession here. Um, and in my question, mm. are there any days where you actually just stay in your pajamas? Oh dear, I really shouldn't admit this, should I? <laughs> um, well, it's because I'm so dreadfully busy that I haven't had time to get dressed. Um, I have been caught out once um, when a, a chairman of the parish council knocked the door. I oh, won't say word. of which parish council, and I was still in my pajamas. Um, but they, and they're like, are you ill? No, no, I'm hard at no, work. No, no. I just said, just give me five minutes. Um, so that doesn't happen very often, no. I'm normally up and dressed. I don't want to give everyone a, a wrong impression. But um, <laughs> I'm normally up and dressed. But I have been caught out once. Um, I think, in a way, I have to get up, put my face on, you know, yeah. put my clothes on, because then you, you feel like you're ready to start the day. Yeah, you know? definitely. Do you, do you ever feel like sometimes, this is how I felt sometimes, you know, in Apocalypse Now, the film Apocalypse Now, have you ever seen that? No, I don't watch films. I, my intention span's there's terrible. A, there's a bit where Marlon Brando is kind of, has gone up the river and gone native because no one's been in contact with him for so oh, long. Right, and he's yeah. kind of turned into this sort of, um, you know, sort of <laughs> this madman. And uh, do you ever kind of get, feel kind of get a bit stir crazy? Do you kind of miss interacting think, with yeah, people I in think... an office? Have you ever done that? Have you ever worked in an office? I did. Um, um, I was uh, an editor of a newspaper um, for, well, I've edited quite a few local newspapers, but um, I edited a newspaper for seven years and absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved the people I worked with. It was a fantastic job. But my life changed quite drastically um, in 2006 and um, my husband died and it really made me reevaluate stuff. Mm. And... Um, I, th- I just thought I'm not sure I can work in a building yeah. anymore, um, and and then the, the post came along and and said, you know, would I like to be there, North Somerset reporter? And I I actually love working from home. I mean, I do get a lot of people knocking at my door at inappropriate times of the evening. Yeah, you know, with stories or you haven't got a gossip. sign on your house of you saying no post. No, I not haven't. Like, not quite that. No, no, I haven't. But I mean, I've I've had a, I had a phone call. Um, once um and it was one o'clock in the morning and it was a guy on Cleveland seafront and he'd obviously had quite a few on board and he rang me up to tell me he'd lost his mobile phone Wait a minute. and I said well surely you haven't lost it because you're ringing me on it he went oh yeah <laughs> cheers love <laughs> night it's like night you know and you get some really random 
things you know people do think of you as a little bit of an information service yeah. you know yeah. and I'm sure you found the same you know do you know what time the pub opens do you know what bus goes into so and so yeah you know um so you you do get a lot of that but I wouldn't have it any other way yeah you know and and I like I really enjoy being part of the community and you know um I'm proud to be part of North Somerset what's your what's the when people sort of say sit you, sit you down in the pub and go, oh, I bet you've got some, but you've done some good stories. Yeah. What's your favourite story that you've done oh, recently? Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, one story that really sticks in my mind, and and this just went. I mean, this was really before the days of the internet, and every national picked it up. We had reports of a big disturbance going on just outside Weston in the village of Locking, and people couldn't work out what it was. Their gardens were being trampled and trashed at night. Their little veg patches were being eaten and you know it was really quite severe and we thought it was teenagers you know drunk on the rampage so anyway I went out and did some investigating and it actually turned out that it was somebody I knew in Locking had a pet pig and this pig had been stealing his cider when because he used to leave his cider down by the side of his sofa when he you know so the pig was in his house the pig was it was a house pig and um and Percy. And um, <laughs> anyway, this guy would go to bed and the pig thought, oh, oh, there's a, you know, pigs like apples, don't they? Yeah. So, you know, he had a bit of a liking for cider. So um, it turned out that what this pig was doing was getting the cider down its neck when its owner had gone to bed, you know, getting a bit lively and then going out on the rampage and locking. Going out. So there was a... Mm. a- pig flap in the door that it could get out. I think it must just have just crushed its way all through or something. I don't even know how it got out, but oh I can't God. remember. But I remember, and you know when you're sat there thinking, what is the headline? What is the headline for this? And I think we did something like um, Percy the Pickled Porker or something like that. But a, a, one of the nationals, um, and I thought this was really clever, just came up with the um, headline Drunken Swine. I thought, <laughs> how didn't I know that? How didn't I come up with that? So... Um, you know, and there's been some, I mean, it's, I, there's things I've been involved with that I'm really proud. I mean, that's a great fun story to yeah. tell. Um, I've interviewed lots of celebrities. Some have been nice, some have been unpleasant. Oh, um, Danny LaRue bought me a bottle of pink champagne once when I interviewed him at the Playhouse in Western. Norman Wisdom was great fun. Um, I used to do T4 on the beach. Um, where I, you know, got Kwan, uh, Keith Lemon, you know, quite a lot of the TOWIE cast. Although I will admit, as I was getting older... I actually had to go online and print out who was performing because I had no idea yeah. who some of them were, you know. But that's nothing to be ashamed of at all. No. That's, in fact, it should be a badge of pride, to be honest. Yeah, so that was fun. And some of the campaigns that we've been involved in as well, especially on the post, um, the Save the Open Air Pool, yeah. that was fabulous. And that it's stuff fabulous. like that that actually kind of makes a difference as well. You know, I and, think and so. It mm. gives you so much... Um, kind of uh, credit almost people because sometimes you know you, you, you're writing about everything to do with people's lives aren't you so absolutely and so you're honoured you know people bring you into their lives they tell you their story and that's a real privilege to, mm. to be that person and I think as a you know as a duty as a reporter and as a human being you have a responsibility to do that well if someone's bringing you into their life, you know, telling you what's happened, you know, I mean, some of their stories are really, you know, tragic, emotional, you know, I think that's a real privilege to, as a journalist, to be given that opportunity to share in that person's story. Mm. Um, one of the things that we've been doing this year is the Rooms Care Appeal with St Peter's Hospice um, to raise the final money needed for that new inpatient unit. 
up in Braintree. That, again, has been the most incredible thing to be involved with. Um, it's two Bristol institutions, the Post, the Hospice, working together for the benefit of the people of Bristol. Mm. And um, I've met some incredible people this year in the forms of people who work there, who are volunteers there, and people who have, you know, are being looked after by yeah. the hospice and the families of people who have been looked after by the hospice. Um, and again, that you know, that's been an incredible thing to be involved with. And I'm really proud and honoured for that. And, you know, we're, we're reaching the end now. You know, um, the hospice, the work there is due to finish at the end of this month. And um, we're hoping to get first patients in at the end of November. And Bristol needs to be really proud of what they've achieved there. Yeah. You know. Do you feel... Um uh that where you because it's quite interesting as someone who's kind of i moved to bristol like three four years ago um but obviously i was from i'm from wiltshire so it's not mm. too far away bristol was always the city that in the, my nearest big city mm. um and you know place i would come to where you are do you kind of feel part of bristol or is do people sort of say they're from bristol when they're from where you're from well the funny thing is um i, I i'm down in cornwall quite a lot and i always say i'm from bristol yeah. You know, he's the crazy lady from Bristol. You know, so I'm I'm very proud to be part of the Bristol community and, and I love the Bristol community. You know, I mean, I'm, I live in North Somerset, but I very much feel that I'm Bristolian. You know, yeah. um, I, I I was um, I wasn't born here, but I quickly moved to this area. Um, I went to school in this area, um, you know, and yeah, I've got a great network around here. So yeah. and I love Bristol. I People I, are very friendly. I'm just going to turn to video Chris. Because um, you live in South Gloucestershire, don't you? I do indeed. Do yeah. you say, think you? Do you say you're from Bristol? Yeah, I do. I, 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 it's really strange, but even on my address, I just put Bristol. I don't put South yeah. Gloucestershire. It's an interesting one because when back in the day when there was Avon, that's right, and yeah. everyone was in Avon, and that was it, and stuff. I don't know. I think I still said Bristol. Yeah. Then, even when we were in Avon, and I can remember when. This is how old I am now and how long I've been doing this reporting. You know, you can remember actually there being the Avon County Council. Yeah. I can remember Woodspring. Wow. Remember the, the metamorphosis into North Somerset? What about the, the King Arthur and Wessex? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, well, there was some there's some talk about somebody being hanged in the many years ago as part of all that in the fields at Ken. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I did a story. I mean, I've done so many stories. People say, oh, you must have done a story on that. And I think, yeah, I probably have. But over 25 years, yeah. I've done a story on pretty much everything, I think. A lot of our work online is involved in, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, about um, the use of social media, not mm. only just to to um, sort of put our stories out there so, so people can read them online, but also to kind of get, that's where people are talking now. Is where people Absolutely. Are, mm. are you, how have you managed that? As as uh, both both of us are technology immigrants rather than technology natives. <laughs> Native is the right word. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We we haven't grown up with this, have we? No. We, no. How have you found that kind of going into that sort of world and oh, Twitter I've, and? To be perfectly honest, I've I have struggled with it. You know, I mean, I'm rarely anywhere without my notebook and my pen and quite an old sort of fashioned report. So I've found it quite a difficult transition. Not because. I think I'm frightened because I don't know how to work it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I can make jam. I can I can make my own wine. I can mow my own grass. But if you ask me, how do I do a tweet? I'm like, <gasps> not quite sure about that. So it's, and what I do, Snapchat. I had to ask my 16-year-old granddaughter how to do that, you know. But that's the younger generation, isn't it? Yeah. That, and I'm sure you've got young yeah. children, haven't you, teenage children? 
And, you know, I would just, I often go to them. I have found it a difficult transition. But that said, um, I get, you know, quite a lot of stories come from Mm. online and people, you know, something happens, it happens, it's instant. People are talking about it online straight away. And that's a really valuable source to us as journalists Mm. because it makes it, it's instant, isn't it? The news is out there instantly. Okay. And that really helps us in our job. But yeah, I'm, I am a bit of a technophobe. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I think, you, I think I can record things on my telly, but I'm still not sure. I've got a smart, a smart telly. I don't know how to use it. Okay. Mm. Is it just on one channel or have you changed? Well, I've got more than one, two, three and four now, Tris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's not, it's not my strong point. In terms of like the, the looking forward, what are the kind of big stories that you think uh, that you're working on or that, that are going to affect North Somerset in the, in the, the I weeks think, and months ahead, you know, there's the obvious things like the Portishead Railway. You know, there's been a lot of talk about that over the years. Is that actually going to come to fruition? It's an issue with funding. There's a big desire for that. Um, another thing I think in North Somerset is the fact that the council is continually having to balance its books, like every other council, mm. um, and it's looking at different ways of generating money because it doesn't get any government funding now and there's been some pretty big stories about you know how the authority is borrowing money to invest in property such as the retail park down at North Wirral in Western and the Sovereign Centre and they've recently announced plans to um, build on land they own become a property developer working in partnership with um, Bath and North East Somerset I think those are quite big stories you know Mm. for North Somerset there's a lot of pressure you know, on um, on finances. I also think the massive amount of homes that needs to be built mm. um, across the Bristol region, North Somerset is having to take a slice of that. Issues surrounding the green belt, um, that is always very controversial. I think there may well be some changes to the green belt. Um, okay. So my could... house looks out onto the North Somerset green belt from mm. Bristol. Mm. Are you telling me that uh, my view is going to get... I don't think on? so That in that point. I mean, there are big... Taylor Wimpy wants to build four and a half thousand homes and all uh, all the infrastructure down um, an Ashton Vale, don't they? Yeah, that is in the green belt. North Somerset so that's far are saying, I, that's yeah, what I'm looking at. Yeah, North Somerset are so far saying, no, that's green belt. That will be protected. That is not in the joint spatial plan. That is not in our local plan. What I think we might see is some smaller changes to green belt on the fringes of our other main towns, especially right. Nelsey. I think. Um, that there's a bit of a movement towards that. Um, yeah, I think I don't think there will be big changes, but I think where they can show there's a need, there may be some mm. exceptions to that rule. And, you know, people are very precious and protective of um, North Somerset being such a nice rural county to live in. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think that might be okay. controversial. Heather, whatever happens... You'll be on it. You'll be reporting it. Well, I like to think so. I like to think so. I, I like to think I don't miss much, but I can assure you, I'm not sat in my office at home <laughs> on a morning eating waffles in my pajamas, watching Jeremy Kyle. Watching Jeremy Kyle, right? Okay. Mm. Heather Pickstock, it's been a privilege. Uh, <laughs> thank, ca- you thank you for coming much. in from North Somerset and braving the traffic to get here. And nearly an hour. Yeah, and an uh, hour to do eight miles. Hopefully, you'll be back on the podcast soon. I'd be delighted. Cheers. Thanks, Tristan. That was Heather Pickstock, our North Somerset reporter and print journalist on the Bristol Post and Bristol Live. Um, 
very interesting. I hope you'll agree. Um, it's been a bit of a uh, bit of an effort to get her into the studio. Uh, she's um, obviously, as you heard, away in uh, the depths of North Somerset for most of the time. Um, and now we'll move on to talk to our next guest, who is Grace Earl. So we are joined now by the lovely Grace Earl, who is coming in for her final appearance on the IBL podcast. Although I suppose you could do next week, maybe, if you if there's something... Potentially, but <laughs> let's face it, there's probably not going to be much for me to talk about this time next week. Okay, well, anyway, we are... So you're leaving. You're, you've got a wonderful new job uh, at the end of next week. I do, yes. Um, um, which we're all very excited about on your behalf, I'll just say. <laughs> yeah, happy for me to be going. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, but it sounds like a wonderful thing. Um, right, anyway, let's talk now about restaurants, because Bristol is becoming renowned for its restaurants, and you've been tackling this so can you just for people like me who literally just go to pizza hut and think there uh, that's fine dining can you explain to me exactly what has happened this week so bristol's been growing really steadily in its reputation for being a city for amazing food over the past few years but that's gone up a notch this week because the michelin guide for 2019 was announced on Monday so that is perhaps better known um, by people outside of the industry as the Michelin stars so only a handful of really incredible restaurants get three stars a few more get two and then more on top of that will be given one but for any restaurant to be given even one Michelin star, you, you know, you probably don't need me to tell you that that is a huge, huge accolade. And it's something that while while certain chefs won't be bothered about Michelin for a, a huge number, it is, you know, what they spend their whole lives working towards and okay. it's what they really want. So it's like winning an Oscar if you're an actor or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair comparison. Okay. So what's happened in Bristol is that another one of our city's restaurants has been given a Michelin star, which is um, Bull Rush in it's on the border of sort of Redland and Cotton. Right. Um, it's a sort of neighbourhood bistro that is very good by all accounts. And it's been a big part of the Bristol food scene for the past few years. And now it's been recognised on an international scale. Wow. after being visited by Michelin inspectors over a number of a number of times in secret over the past 12 months. And now it has a star. So that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, actually. So they, they don't they don't say who they are when they come and they just sort of no. order a meal and... So one of one of the things from what I can gather about the prestige of being awarded a Michelin star is the criteria which inspectors judge restaurants by and what you actually have to do in order mm. to get one is a huge secret. So it's it's but it's surely not just the food it must be the kind of ambiance as well. The posh way of saying atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a part of that that comes into and account the, as and well. The service maybe as well. Yeah, yeah you've yeah, got to have thing. good service and good knowledgeable staff who know their menus and know the products that they're selling. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, stop me if I'm wrong, but I think mainly it comes down to the food and that's something that Bull Rush has been doing very well. Okay. So how many restaurants now is Bristol in Bristol have got a Michelin star? In the Bristol area? So, in the boundaries of Bristol City itself, there are four. 
Ball Rush being the most recent. Yeah. And then in the wider area, there's five, which is if you include um, the Pony and Trap pub out in Jew Magna. Oh, yeah, I've been there. That's ah, really nice. Yeah, so I have actually been there to There you one, go. I didn't have any food, though. <laughs> Oh, I should have done, shouldn't I? Michelin star pub, you missed a wow. chance. Maybe, maybe there wasn't like a table, but I remember just going in there for a pint. Um, so does the, what does this mean now for that rest, for the bull rush to get a Michelin star? Presumably that if it's that good, it would have been kind of, you know, really popular and loads of people go there anyway. What What happens now to it? Does it kind of get huge numbers of people come from all over the place to go and try and eat there and do they... You know what? What kind of what kind of impact does it have? I think it definitely encourages more people to to dine there, and it, it shows to people perhaps who aren't familiar with the area or who aren't familiar with with the city's restaurant scene um, that that restaurant in particular is is worth a detour and it's worth yeah. kind of finding out. That's one of the things that the Michelin Guide aims aims to promote. It was initially set up as a travel companion all those years ago, so it's particularly important for people who aren't from the area perhaps and are coming in to visit and want want to eat mm. somewhere that is really really special and yeah. is, is just an incredible place to go but obviously for people in the city as well there's so much choice in terms of great restaurants to go to there are a number of great bristol restaurants that haven't got michelin stars but mm. are, are equally popular and getting a table is hard so it will just be another reason to go to ball rush in particular yeah do is it is is that it now do they have it and that's it or do they have to kind of what that could it get taken away? So I'm not a hundred percent sure on the sort of reaccreditation process, but restaurants can lose Michelin stars. It's not it's not that you have it and then you have it for life. So say mm. say if the restaurant closed down, that would be it. It would Obviously, be gone. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't be kept as a historical record or anything. Um, you do hear examples of perhaps if um, a chef has moved on, yeah, um, or the menus changed. If if that is deemed to have a negative effect, then inspectors can can remove stars. It does happen. It's um, not happened in Bristol in in recent memory. There's a number of restaurants who've managed to keep their stars. So Paco Tapas got a star for the first time last year. It's kept it. Ooh, Paco Tapas, tell me about that. It, where, that sounds like it's Spanish. Yeah, it is. I've I've not been <laughs> this there. Is how, this, is how, <laughs> this is how cultured I am. So they do tapas, obviously. They, of, they like, do, yeah. So yeah, that sounds lush. Tatas Bravas. Oh, look, where is that to then? Um, so that is next door to Casamia, which also has a Michelin star. Oh, okay. And that's in the old general building, sort of. Oh, what? Down by um, by the river? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of both in there. Um, they're both owned by Peter Sanchez Iglesias, who is yeah. a very well-known chef. Um, Casamia, several years ago, used to be based in Westbury-on-Trim, and then they decided that they wanted a more central location. And that's that's had a, that restaurant in particular has had a star for a number of years, and it's one that Bristol Live's food critic, Mark, Mark Taylor, is is pushing that he thinks it's going to get a second star. Oh, really? So, or like next year or something? Yeah, they they reassess it every year. So, so Mark does our food reviews, doesn't he? And every, yeah, everyone thinks he dog. has. Yeah, everyone thinks he is. He lives. He's living his best life. Um, he goes in. He doesn't tell people who he is, does he? No, he doesn't. Yeah. So, um, so he's. He, I wonder if he could be a Michelin judge one day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so what other? So we've had the one in uh, the pub. 
that I went to. Yeah. The two by the Bathurst Basin by the General Hospital and this new one, Bullrush. What's the fifth? So the fifth is Wilkes, which is another neighbourhood bistro type restaurant also in Redland. I'm not entirely sure how long they've had their staff for, but okay. I know it's another restaurant that Mark believes is, is on course for a second star in the next few years. I imagine it must be it must push up house prices as well if you live like right sort of opposite oh, or yeah. something. You know, you can imagine that. It's the estate agents must love that. There's a Michelin star restaurant. Yeah, rubbing their hands together. A little community bistro across the road. Yeah. And it's got a Michelin star. No no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I've got beer a six residents will be delighted. I've got I'm a sure. spoons at the end of my road. The estate agents mentioned that one. Well, um, I haven't even got that, mate. <laughs> well, Grace, thank you so much for right. talking us through this big development for Bristol's restaurant scene um, and thank you for your work as well in bringing us in, if this is your indeed your last podcast appearance oh, no. no trouble at all it's been a pleasure and uh, we're looking forward to your where are we going to one of these restaurants on your leaving do <laughs> <laughs> wishful thinking yeah uh, I don't know so this basically means do they put can they put up the prices as well now that they've got mission star or is it I mean they can do what they want yeah. but I think part of the appeal in the first place is... It's not ridiculous prices. I mean, it's not cheap, yeah. but it's not, you know, possibly with the exception of Casimir aside, it's not horrendously okay. expensive. That's good to know. Right, I might have to try it out. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Grace. No That's worries. great. And, um, and good luck. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you very much, Grace. That was really interesting uh, take on the Bristol restaurant scene there. Um, and that's about it for this edition of Inside Bristol Live. Before you go, um, you can rate, uh, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and join in the conversation by tweeting at IBL Podcast. Or you can find me personally at... Tristan Cork post on the Twitter. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. Good night.